0: welcome to the new books network hello and welcome back to the new books and indian religions podcast uh, a podcast channel here on the new books network i'm your host dr raj balkron more importantly i have the pleasure today of inviting back to the podcast dr Uta huskin who is uh, head of the department of cultural and religious history of south asia at the South Asia Institute at Heidelberg University, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Raj. I'm glad to be back.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's my delight. Uh, as you can tell, I'm 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 delighted by a number of of, of books, but it, it is a true delight to to be speaking today about um, a collected volume of of, of essays um, called uh, Laughter, Creativity, and Perseverance. And the subtitle, uh, Female Agency in Buddhism and Hinduism. Uh, very exciting stuff. Tell us a bit about uh, the genesis, the backstory of this project.
1: Well, I mean, like so many of my projects, it is a collaborative and uh, the outcome of an collaborative endeavor. And uh, yeah, for whatever reason, I think I have always... Uh, throughout my academic career worked on gender issues of sorts, uh, very often not being aware of it, but um, at some point I realized that uh, um, there's um, yeah, there's something going on right now in these traditions, at least in those traditions that I know of uh, within Hinduism and Buddhism, that seems to be, well, at least from some perspectives, a radical change, um, meaning that uh, there are more and more female actors who yeah, occupy um, positions of religious or, or ritual leadership that they have been excluded from before. And of course, I, I mean, the few case studies I know of are just uh, only a few. So I, I was actually originally planning for to apply for a big project. And in the context of preparing for this project, I uh, convened a um, workshop in Heidelberg, also at Heidelberg University, and I was inviting a few uh, women and men who are working on similar issues. And uh, it was very important for me at that point also to invite a number of junior researchers because uh, most exciting work is actually coming from the young people. And I'm now as a senior scholar, I can say that. <laughs> so. Yeah, so we had a wonderful workshop over three days, we uh, were giving presentation we're discussing and um, I feel that at that workshop, it was especially especially the connections we were able to establish, let's say behind the scenes were of special importance because Um, There was a sense of collegiality and sharing that was really extraordinary, and um, I do think that the last uh, chapter in this volume, which is uh, authored by Carolyn Starkey, and which talks about methods and, um, well, problems, sometimes researching issues that are connected to female agency in religious traditions uh, that actually speaks of this spirit, because uh, Carolyn uh, also continued the discussion with all of the researchers afterwards, and we were talking about our research processes, the disappointments, but also, of course, the small victories that we had. And um, that was, ai mean, that was basically facilitated by this really very collegial spirit during this workshop. I also think that uh, this workshop and also I think we had one panel in 2019 then at the AAR in San Antonio, some of us at least had, uh, That was um, that is why I, at least I feel that the different contributions to this volume are really they speak to each other and they address topics um, from different angles, so I, I'm really happy about it. This volume, that's
0: yeah. We 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 touched on this aspect um, when during your last podcast, which had um, um, a similar paradigm of of of, of, a, of a fruitful workshop, and really it really is an admirable mo uh, in terms of at least to my mind, you know, holding space for scholarly community. Um, and and seeing what happens with the cross pollinations and the conversations, and they're always more than the sum of their parts. And and then invariably you have either um, uh, you know let's share this, right? Let's publish this, or let's do something with this. I mean that's how we first came in touch with the your brilliant mm-hmm. um, uh, bringing together of people interested in in in, in Navaratri and uh, and I, I really think it's useful for scholars to to there may be some among us who take that for granted as a fruitful avenue but also um to, to really foreground you know bringing people together and seeing what happens uh, i had the good fortune of attending a symposium i think um it, it was in toronto where we am based at the university of toronto oh. it was a put together this phenomenal lineup of speakers on uh, it was uh, a topics really yeah to that's content, right. right I couldn't yeah. resist because I just happened to be guest lecturing at the U of T and I saw the poster you know what let me sign up I've got to I've got to come so that the magic then happens right and and you, you could tell by the last day by the last luncheon everyone was engrossed in conversations about oh who will do this part of the volume or what should we do now or how you know and it's it really really is magical so uh, thank you for holding that space for so many of us and uh, and for the fruits of that labor so uh, more on the fruit of this labor um how and how how is you know feel free to say a word about that last chapter i think it'd be a, a great uh thing to touch on uh perhaps since you mentioned it in terms of um you know female agency in buddhism and hinduism and uh the subtitles methodolo- methodological reflections and collective commitments maybe say a yeah. bit of a word on that last section last chapter that is the only chapter in the fourth section, and then maybe we could talk about the structure, the of, of the sections of the, of the book.
1: Yeah, sure. So this, this last chapter, as you rightly say, is the only chapter in this fourth section. Um, but I do think it's a very important check, uh, chapter for the book as such, because, um, yeah, in this uh, Carolyn Starkey, reflects together with the contributors to the um, volume on yeah our own position and the attitudes in the field, how for example especially when women are researching on women's issues how our political stances would or can't at least impact our research and um, uh, this was a yeah the res- her her uh, chapter is a result of a continuing conversation with the different contributors over um, over months, I would say. So uh yeah, there's also this kind of tricky questions um whether we as researchers actually, Understand agency in relation to Buddhist and Hindu traditions, similar to the people we are looking at or who are we who we are working with, who are we, are we doing research on, and what happens when when we suddenly realize that uh, our own political commitments might might be very different from the ones that are uh, the people we uh, we are working on are. So and feminism is here a big word, a big trigger word, the f word that no one dares to speak about because it it uh, especially when at least that's my experience when you work with women in religious settings. Uh, this is per- it's very often perceived as some kind of aggressive Western. uh, of claiming rights and so on. And so so many of us said that we actually avoid this term altogether in order to to be able to do our research. At the same time, I do think that many of us do have uh, what I would call a feminist attitude. But I would also say that many of the people we're working on are have a feminist attitude, even though they themselves would not use the term. So all these conflicts um, while doing research, difficulties, and also, I mean, basically, the necessity, which is very fruitful in the end, to question your own uh, commitment, your own attitude, and maybe come out of this research process as a different person. So, yeah, that is all addressed by Carolyn. And I do think that this is a, a chapter which might be especially useful for young researchers who are looking for some kind of um, not guarded but open guidance and an um, open uh, presentation of problems you might encounter when you're doing research like that. Well. It's, yeah. it-
0: i found it to be exceptionally rich and because you know one can one could easily um um derive insights for all kinds of conversations and field work and the categories that we use and the commitments that are implied in our particular you know uh, um, genders or stances or, or even subjects and i i found it fascinating you know i have not heard it referred to as the as the f-word before well that's i, I may use that well, it is one but but i but i have said to people that in certain contexts i'll avoid myth because it's a four-letter word for yeah. a lot of people So it's your and, word. <laughs> yeah exactly it's a four-letter word and and what i find especially fascinating is um this 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 issue with categories and discourse and what we do as scholars is you know we, we intellectualize and we adopt categories and we massage categories and just you know maybe take a breath even before all that and just see what people are doing and see what they're calling it and yeah. it may well map well onto the categories we use or not but just get a sense of how they think about what they're doing and i i think that's that's clearly a rich chapter
1: Yes, and this also very often. I mean, I find this especially in um, Buddhist contexts that uh, it is uh, somehow very difficult to talk about, let's for let's say for example, the question of uh, ordination for uh, women in Theravada Buddhism, because on the one hand there is this. Um, yeah, idea of the non-self and uh, so on. At the same time, there are women who are demanding something. So, how do you bring that uh, together? And how do the women themselves bring that together? I mean, it's it's very fascinating, but uh, not easy. Not as easy as you would you might in, want. In,
0: indeed, indeed, important work and not easy. um and I suppose if this work was easy, this would all be ironed out after decades of scholarship <laughs> <laughs> and millennia of religious history. Um, but uh, maybe tell us a bit about the structure, the different sections of, of, the, of the work.
1: Yeah, we, um, I mean, uh, we subdivided the contributions or we, we, we found that they, the contributions addressed Uh, mainly three different domains, and uh, these are, that's what we labeled uh, renewing religion in female spaces. Um, then appropriation of male spaces and uh, performing religion publicly. That doesn't mean that uh, the different contributions only address this topic, but that they mainly, I mean, speak to this, to a certain, let's say, range of, of topics. So in the first uh, uh, section, there is Valeria Gazizova, who uh, writes, um, her contribution is entitled Exclusion Secrecy and the Underground Dynamics of Female Religious and Ritual Agency in Kalmykia. And um, that is, um, I mean, Kalmykia is a republic in southwestern Russia, and it's actually the only region in Europe where Buddhism is in fact historically practiced and Valeria here looks at the transportation I would say of religious transmission from male to female spaces and um, this uh, I mean this transportation with which happened in the Soviet area. Um, and uh, the yeah so the soviet area era which was certainly of uh, yeah very traumatic in many ways it paradoxically also brought uh new opportunities for women who then were able to reposition themselves as religious specialists and also religious leaders and um uh, it's it's very fascinating how uh, the lower status of women as opposed to that of men in the pre-socialist Kalmykia society, um, and their, actually their exclusion from Buddhist establishment then allowed them to become important transmitters of religious and ritual knowledge. <laughs> And that's uh, what is captured with this term underground, because uh, this is, um, of course, metaphorically used, this word, but it's also literally because some of the places where religion then in the Soviet era was um, practiced was in fact underground. So that's a very interesting and fascinating case study. I could talk about it very long because also (laughs) Valeria is currently right now She's in Heidelberg as a postdoc researcher with a project. So we are in constant contact on this
0: topic. Without exaggerating, we easily could have a podcast on each of these contributions. They're fascinating. <laughs> as I'm, as you're well aware, they're rich and they're yeah. fascinating. And with, with luck, uh, some of these authors will perhaps uh, uh, appear on the podcast, perhaps to yes, talk about definitely. monographs yeah, or developments. Yeah. Sure.
1: Right. Then um, the second um, contribution in this um, uh, renewing religion and female spaces section is by Ina Ilkama. And this is entitled, This is Not a Home, It is a Temple Creative Agency in Navaratri-Kolu. And here you can see some overlap with other projects that we, I mean, the Navaratri project that we had for quite a number of years. And Ina has uh, done her uh, research um, in Kanchipuram, a place where I'm also um, doing a lot of my research. And she has looked at the transformation of the Kolo practices and uh, has looked at them as um, practices that are transforming within female spaces where it was extremely important that now new female actors were taking over. And basically what she has been uh, ma- mainly dealing with is the um, well transfer of the Kolo practice from Brahmin to non-Brahmin. Actors And how does that transform what these practices do and mean to the actors and how, uh, where are the continuities, but also where are the changes when suddenly Kolo is practiced in non brahmin households. And this is, it's really fascinating um, and uh, yeah, a great piece to read. So I can highly recommend this. So, as well. so,
0: so these two, these two um contributions that are that are the two that contribute to this idea of renewing religion in female spaces. Mm. Is is there a word or two we can say about that overarching concept? Or is this perhaps uh, surprising in a sense? Or, you know, do do you want to make a comment about the category?
1: Well, I, I would say it's only surprising if you understand agency as connected mainly to uh, resistance and challenging of existing hierarchies. However, if you understand agency as encompassing much more than that, and also um, un- understand practices of compliance um, as Agency and if you look at the yeah, look for agency in also small acts of changes, uh, then it is not surprising. So, I mean, here we strongly, very, very strongly rely, of course, on the seminal work of Sabah Mahmoud and also Joanna Cook and others who, um, uh, have clearly shown that uh, it is extremely important to, um, yeah to turn away from definitions of agency that uh, only understand agency as resistance and here i would say especially when you look at those practices that change within female spaces they can easily be overlooked but not if you take them seriously Fascinating. so i think that's thank you, uh, tying thank you them for, together.
0: yeah no thank you for driving that home for our listeners that was a beautiful insight okay so section two what do we have
1: well, that's appropriation of male spaces and that's um well, there's um, I don't know how many contributions a few are there, at least three, four. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't count them. um so so the first uh, contribution here is by Tarini Bedi and she's uh, uh, she's writing about body politics and the gendered politics of Hindu militancy. a uh, women and political agency in Western India. And she uh, uh, writes here about the dashing ladies. So the dashing ladies in uh, Maharashtra who appropriate these traditional male spaces of activity that is uh, policing and uh, politics. And Tarini's focus is on the women of Shiv Sena. And she shows how agency in this specific nationalist movement is not only the capacity to act, but also, and importantly, the capacity to act with and through the body. And that, she, that is what the, the women themselves um, label dashing, and, um, which kind of um, means uh, yeah, the capacity to display public anger. So in the in a wider sense of the, of the word, so that's the first um, contribution, and that somehow summarizes parts of Tarini's book on the dashing ladies of Shivsena, and it really fits uh, very nicely into this section. The next contribution is um, um, the the article that's called Buddhist Radicalism, a Vehicle for Female Empowerment? Question mark, And that is um, by Melon McKay and Islin Friedenlund. They deal with women uh, who are connected to radical Islamophobic Buddhist organizations in contemporary Myanmar and Sri Lanka. And basically this is Let's say a contribution that is very early in their research on the topic, and they explore why women would sympathize with such ideologies and why they would participate in these movements. And um, especially, well, let's say um, puzzling is here that these nationalist movements, like so many others, um, are particularly concerned with controlling the female body and concerned with female reproduction. So Buddhist radical groups, they call for regulation of marriages between Buddhist women and non-Buddhist men, and they call for family planning policies for non-Buddhists including legal regulation of women's reproductive health. And these laws, interestingly, they uh, enjoy widespread support also among women. And so the question is, what's happening there? Why do women support this? Mm. And um, I mean, at least as a preliminary finding, the authors find that... uh, through membership and activities within these organizations, it seems that the women who are participating are able to access broader lay networks and monastic networks, which then allows them to operate as, uh, yeah, let's say protectors of Buddhism. And that is in fact a role that um, the, religious tradition, traditionally, uh, reserves for men. So in that sense, um, that seems to be very helpful for them and seen seen very positively. So that is one of the contributions which kind of rattles your idea, not only of Buddhism as a people religion, but I think this is, uh, well, has been debunked long ago, but also yeah, of the w- role of women uh, within. Some,
0: yeah, certainly somewhat yeah. provocative or thought-provoking, or yeah. even paradoxical that to, to to surrender agency in one domain in order to 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 perhaps bolster agency in another. I mean, it's fascinating, right? And 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 it's data that just absolutely resists a binary approach. Uh, you know, it's it it forces you to to think.
1: Right? Yeah, and, definitely. Yes. Then there's another in this section, there's another contribution on a Buddhist setting that is by Amy Langenberg and is called Laughing on the Rooftop Female Buddhist Agency as Local in Lumbini, Nepal. And uh, Amy's daughter actually uh, took the wonderful picture that is on the cover of the book, so I really need to emphasize that I'm very happy that she was uh, (laughs) providing this great picture, which so nicely shows what we're talking about. Anyway, Amy, uh, in her contribution, she uh, talks about the Peace uh, Grove Institute, which is a monastic space that is, however, not for men or or boys, but for girls. So again, here, this is a space that is traditionally only uh, available to male members of uh, Buddhist communities, but here it is specifically for girls. And um, what it does, it actually provides a on the one hand, socially safe space for the girls, and on the other, it allows them to delay marriage and to continue education. The, this is, of course, not, this does not, this Peace Grove Institute does not exist in, in isolation, but it's um, it heavily relies, in fact, on the cooperation also of the girls' mothers who strongly support this, Um, But at the same time, Amy is able to show how this institute is also a creation of the girls, of the resident girls themselves, so that they are able to shape what is happening and how things are happening in this institution, which, uh, I mean, speak of agency of girls and especially agency of children, which is also, I think, a very important topic here. So that's a really fascinating, fascinating. contribution. Then the another uh, contribution uh, here is by Shefali More, and she has uh, her article is uh, entitled "Right to Pray," comparing Shani Singapore and Shabrimana. Shifali, Shefali, um, who is a PhD student here in Heidelberg. She here deals with the actual process and the legal proceedings, and also uh, actually with the public repercussions of allowing women to enter Hindu places of worships uh, which were previously strictly out of their reach. And what she does is she uh, compares this process on the one hand in Shabrimala, in Kerala, and on the other end, in Shani Shingnapur, which is a, a Shani temple in Maharashtra, and she shows how this, depending, I mean, depending on the public decur- discourse, but also on the different, uh, yeah, agents uh, active there, uh, unfolds very differently. So, but. Interestingly, it is in both cases only the public and the loud challenge by women that actually initiates a public discussion of these bands of women to these places. And uh, what Shifali does in her uh, chapter is that she analyzes the arguments um, by the authorities of the places of worship. She looks at the arguments used by the women who challenge the uh, the regulation. She also highlights the legal complications in these matters, and also what the public discussion does to it, and especially the role of social media in these uh, processes. I mean, uh, at least here in Europe, for (laughs) even I mean, the Shabri uh, Shabrimala case was in the news for I say, several weeks. It was quite interesting because usually um, such news from India are not that prominently displayed on in the standard news. So yeah, that was um that is something that also kind of spilled over to other cultural areas. Yeah, and then the last. Section is the section on perform, which is entitled Performing Religion Publicly. And here we have the three contributions. Yes, three Correct. contributions. One is by Priyanka Ramlakan, um, uh, entitled Hindu Women and the Gendering of Religious and Ritual Authority in Trinidad. She deals with two Hindu women or with three Hindu women in Trinidad whose religious activities in very different ways take place in the public. And, um, uh, and she highlights actually the trajectories of these two women, one, um, is a pandita, a priestess, and the other one is a now that is uh, something like a priest assistant. Both roles are um, new for women now. And um, she looks at how this plays out, how it is accepted in public or not accepted in public, how these women are challenged. But at the same time, what she highlights is also how these two women basically understand their role and enact in, in their new role very differently. So for example, the latter, the priest's assistant is, um, she is from a, a rural area of Trinidad and at the, she is not only the priest's assistant, but she's also a ritual expert and healer who are, uh, basically can read a local mud volcano goddess, which is who is called Balkadevi. And much of her authority and acceptance within the community and beyond the community really comes from, from this close connection to the goddess Balkadevi, rather than uh, from her being a priest's um, assistant. The and, um I know uh, close to nothing about uh uh these uh, religiosity Hindu religiosity in in the Caribbean so for me this is a extremely interesting case study the next uh section oh yeah that's my own article <laughs> <laughs> I I am writing here uh the I entitled the contribution tradition Innovation and resistance training girls in sanskrit and vedic rituals and what i look at here is the uh uh the school for girls uh in a uh, school for girls in varanasi the panini kanya mahavidyalaya um that is a school for girls that was established in the 70s and um it's uh i mean it's in the tradition of uh, Oh no, let's put it like that. They, yeah, they're, they're, uh, on the one hand, their focus in terms of learning is very strongly on Panini and grammar and on Vedic rituals. And at the same time, the girls are also trained in martial arts, in yoga, in music and computer sciences. And what is uh, quite striking, and many of the listeners to this podcast might have seen these girls if they were in Benares, because since 2014, they also publicly perform um, a Vedic Homa in, at Asigat and recite uh, Vedic mantras there. And that is part, I mean, they do this as a part of the, uh, program, Suba i e Banaras this morning in Banares program that many of you might know. And what I'm looking at is basically what kind of strategies these women and um, employ to integrate in a tradition that excludes them. So how what is the way of uh, argumentation and how do they understand the text differently from their male counterparts? But then also, yeah, what what else is there on their agenda, but also what is on the agenda of those who still until today resist this. Um, Yeah. And then the uh, last um, um, contribution to this section is by Antoinette Elizabeth de Napoli, and it's called, I will be the Shankaracharya for women gender agency and a gross quest for equality in hinduism and she explores the strategies of a female religious leader to acquire a space for a women ascetics group among the Akaras during the Kumbh Mela. And uh, she's focusing on Trikal Bhavanta Saraswati, who is called Mataji. She's also a very public person, so many might, might actually at least have seen her, uh, who demands gender equality and the inclusion of women in a tradi- religious tradition that, again, has traditionally excluded women and also low caste from leadership roles. And this woman, so uh, Mata Jishi, uh, actually strategically calls herself uh, Svayambhu Shankaracharya with long R at the end, so female Shankaracharya, so a self-made female Shankaracharya, and and uh, understands that very much in contrast to an appointed or an inherited position, so uh antoinette uh um shows how she yeah in in interviews defines herself how she on the one hand aligns with uh, what you could call a strong feminist agenda on the other end also distances herself from that yeah that's basically what we have in this uh volume oh, um-
0: rich array of case studies. I mean, you know, I mean, a wide variety of methods and, and spaces and um, traditions uh, within Hinduism and Buddhism. Um, do you want to maybe say a word about this process for you? I mean, uh, taking the bird's eye view, looking at all these papers, bringing them all together. I mean, you make some insightful remarks, of course, in your in your introductory contribution. But do you want to share a little bit about what struck you about the volume as a whole or, or how this process was for you bringing this together
1: well what i what i find quite interesting that um it's at least it seems to me that um if you wanted you could cast a much wider net on not only uh um i mean that we restricted ourselves to hindu and buddhist traditions is um pfft, Uh, is not really called for when you look at the topic. So because you can see similar developments in currently in the Catholic Church. Um, I'm not so sure about giant tradition, but I'm sure there would be some, we would one would find something. Of course, Muslim traditions are um, all all these, let's say movements, these, um, yeah, uh, women assuming positions and claiming spaces for themselves that they haven't been able to, or maybe also in many cases didn't want to claim before. That is something that seems to be happening as we speak. Mm-hmm. Currently, um, there will, uh, yeah, there will be, in fact, another companion volume to this one. We're working on another volume where we cast the net a bit wider. We stay within um let's say uh, traditions that are prevalent in in india and uh, but that also are transcultural in, in in character and we look at also more into let's say historical aspects of that in this second volume um, i find it i find it interesting that things seem to be happening right now Uh, But what I find even more interesting is that um, uh, this in many cases also is connected to um, the fact that men are moving out of these positions. So there is a blank space that needs to be filled and that gives the women uh, or gives many women the the opportunity to fill this space because and that is also uh, I I find that if I look at the case studies that's much more often the case than the than let's say in Tarini's uh, or in Antoinette's case studies where the women kind of stand up and say no we resist it should be different and. Uh, um, Demand that, but it's it's more a silent movement that let's say, yeah, a movement or movements that um, are more often silent than not. That's what I find. But of course, if you look at uh, that, also depends always on the case that is you're looking at.
0: Well, oh, one of one of the the metaphors or or, 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 or sort of uh, truths uh, uh, that comes to me in the back of my brain as I read some of these is this uh, this Taoist idea that you know people think that you know um, rock is stronger than water, but it's really water that erodes rock over time, the, the power of yin. And I think um, um, uh, in your I had uh, a comment, uh, Amy Look, had said something on the back. I'll just pick it up and read it. Actually, she comments, of course, on 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 the 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 wide ranging and fine nature of the contributions, and then uh the, what she says is the contributors press us to notice not only spectacular changes and innovations but also subtle ones, and to appreciate how women may creatively transform tensions into opportunities.
1: Uh, yeah. I think- yeah, and I, I, I think that the title that we chose for the volume really captures it, this very well. Um, so that uh, kind of that tensions are laughed off and that uh, also tensions are always uh, very often expressed in communal laughter um, and that yeah, there very often is um, certainly l- a deep knowledge that resistance um, might not be as, uh, uh, let's say, as, as successful as just staying on, sustaining your attitude. And, and um, yeah, and that a lot of creativity is needed to adapt and which also means at the same time, it is not simply that the women are taking places that were reserved to men before, but they are also massively transforming them, even though many of them would say they don't. But uh, from my pers- perspective, I see um, also massive transformation that goes go along with that.
0: Mm. Uh, absolutely, how could they not? I think you're right about that. Um, well, thank you, thank you for your efforts to bring together people in conversation for this volume and for so many others, and that wonderful way of being. That's that's really, I mean, clearly you can tell from the fruits alone, much less probably the enjoyment <laughs> that people have coming together. That that way of being is is very productive. That collaborative rise. And thank you for your efforts in editing this timely volume.
1: Thank you very much. But it's a great joy, of course.
0: A labor of love,
1: I imagine. Um,
0: <laughs> uh, a labor of love. <laughs> I've, I've, I've been there.
1: I've been yes, there. okay. Editing <laughs> is, not, is not always a great joy. But um, yes, getting together with people, listening to people and listening uh, to different, uh, yeah, not only case studies, but also uh, views on, on these aspects. I mean, I, you know, I learn most
0: of all. Right. I, and, and the podcast aspires after New Books Network in general, aspires after public education. But really, what I say, it's really I'm being educated in public with each author that I speak. <laughs> I, and so so here we are. It's about my public education. Actually. Um, well, thank you very much for appearing on the podcast today. Thank you. For those listening, we have been speaking with Dr. Uta Huskin. Uh, who is editor of uh, a fascinating uh, new work called Laughter, Creativity, and Perseverance, brand new, um, um, 2022 uh, OUP. It's part of the American Academy of Religion, uh, uh, the AAR's Religion, Culture, and History series. Um, uh, check, check it out. To keep listening, keep well, um, and, and keep contemplating... Um, female agency, an agency in general, however gross or subtle that may look. Take care.